The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Some of you probably have been listening to our talks, Shelley on Wednesday and myself on Sunday, and we've been trying to use these practices that many of us have been doing for decades and the teachings of the Buddha more generally and how it helps us to show up when life is like this. And, you know, one thing that has been coming to my mind is to really be uh, honest with ourselves about what is it about this moment that is so shocking or so different. And to remember that what's really, in a sense, activating us, at least at times, is not so much that something's happening that wasn't happening before, but we know a little bit more about what's always been happening, the kind of injustice or the kind of insecurity. So whether we point to the pandemic or we point to the, the number of videos that have been, I mean, it's so, I don't know, ironic or what the word is, but that that what's coming to light around uh, racism and problems with the criminal justice system is the result of technology. Not so much that you know we're, we as humans are getting our act together, but it's just the lie or the delusion is just a little bit harder to hold together and the complacency that comes with that. So it's, I think it's important for us to understand that the world isn't more troubled now. We're just hopefully have a more honest, clear sense of the trouble. And as I was um, reflecting about the talk today, I came across a poem from a former Common Ground person. Some of you might know Deborah King. I, most people know her as Sam King, um, a well-known poet in town. I think Sam lives out of town now. Um, but uh, uh, this is a poem called Troubled Waters. And I don't have listed where the collection this is part of, um, but Troubled Waters by Deborah Sam King. And she begins with a quote from the Bible. For an angel went down at a certain time to a pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatever disease they had. I don't didn't know. I mean, I kind of had heard that phrase about troubled waters, um, but I didn't hear the whole passage. I think until reading this poem and seeing it quoted there, and and I think it really points to some essential truth, not just Buddhist truth, but just this essential human common sense of of the relevance of the gritty, troubled nature that is always there, but uh, sometimes humans have the privilege or the set of conditions that allow them to be oblivious to the truth of vulnerability, the truth of injustice, the truth of uncertainty. This the, I mean, unfortunately, the underbelly of life. And I'm not saying that there can't be better times and aren't at times worse times. 
but life comes with this messy underbelly. And uh, the more uh, we understand how delusion and ignorance and pain and trauma keeps getting transmitted from one generation to the next and then through cultural pro programming, we, we get a better sense of our inheritance as a human being, what, what energetically in the body and the mental habits that we carry along with us. And then because we're carrying all that along with us unknown, not clearly aware of it, then we tend to plant more of the same seeds and on and on and on it goes. And of course, the Buddha talked about this in really profound ways, the cycles of suffering, samsara. And it's one of those imponderables, like how it all got set in motion. Where is the beginning of the injustice or the pain? But on and on it goes. So the poem goes like this after that biblical quote. As I sit on the couch exhausted, trying for rest, trying for peace, I'm besieged with fears about my health, my husband's health, the return of our cancers, worried about my son-in-law's job loss, my grandson's allergies, about why our smart, beautiful, loving daughter has not yet found the right mate, about my failed proposals and the bills, how in God's name at times they will be paid, about friends with intractable challenges and those precious irreplaceable ones now forever out of reach. I'm heartsick and outraged about the inaction of Congress. What? Not raise the minimum wage? What? Not lower interest rates on student loans? Not vote for universal health care? Not insist on gun control? Not be more lenient with refugees? About people on lounge chairs with popcorn and drinks cheering missiles aimed at households of children? about fathers who pimp their daughters for gambling money, about whole neighborhoods annihilated by tornadoes, about the disappearance of butterflies, bats, and bees. How powerless I am against all this pain. I want to scream. I want to escape, make it go away. Is it never possible to be truly at ease, to struggle loose from the fray? Maybe it occurs to me, only if I consent to turbul turbulence, if I allow my barricades against it to disintegrate and stop craving still waters that so quickly become rank, if only I could let those little temples to stasis and safety, I try so hard and so unsuccessfully to raise and hide out in, collapse, dissolve, and float downstream. If only I could, in the way of healing waters, let myself be troubled, be like the sea, wide enough, always writhing, wildly alive, and so quick to the wind that, when light strikes, it shatters into hammered gold, into glorious smithereens magnified by the sky, in which the whole broken world could immerse itself. How, then, 
could it not help but be changed? And I, I love this because I think it points to this essential truth of our spiritual lives, all of us, regardless, I think, of our location. But there's something about, not that we can always do this, and it's not, you know, it's not about just a direct assault, a, a direct assault on like me opening to my pain or me opening to my humiliation or my, you know, whatever I might be feeling. There is a dance about opening to troubled waters and also realizing the real value and turning away for healing and refreshment so that we can turn back toward the troubled waters. So it isn't just because we're getting clear about how there is no awakening, there is no skillful engagement in all those little and big places in our lives without learning how to tolerate, as I mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, last week, you know, to tolerate the intensity, to tolerate the heat of discomfort whenever we're in new territory, whenever we're seeing what we haven't seen before, behind the scenes of our heart, where we've, you know, practiced denial, practiced fixed views so that we wouldn't see the whole picture because maybe we thought, Unconsciously, we didn't have the capacity. But then something happens, like new technology, and people are taking videotapes of the injustice and racial profiling and all the ways that ancient wounds keep reverberating today. Right? Something wakes us up a little. And then we have, then we're in that dance of doing our best to open see what we're not seeing, actually be curious. But that real curiosity depends on just enough safety. And so how do we learn that we have this capacity to turn away? And what you see, you know, when we look at our own patterns and we look at the patterns of friends and we look at the wider patterns in our community, we tend to see people, you know, because this is what we do, we get stuck we think there's a way and we just keep using that way. So some of us, sometimes, we keep looking at the pain. We keep turning. We, we're afraid that somehow there's an injustice if we turn away. Like even when we did the body scan meditation during the guided meditation you know, a little bit ago. It can feel wrong when there's so much moving in our lives and in our wider communities. Like, is it okay for me to turn inward? Is that somehow saying that I don't care? So some of us get fixated that, no, no, I've got to keep the suffering in mind. But we take it as a fixed view. And that should always raise a red flag. You know, when we take something as a fixed view, it keeps the heart from being nimble and finding, navigating our way to be skillful moment by moment. The other habit would be to somehow have a fixed view that I can't look at it or I don't need to look at it. It's not my problem. So the various expressions of denial and distraction where we have an idea that we hold to, the mind holds to, that keeps us from feeling the underbelly that might be there that we haven't been curious about. Whether it's about racism, 
or any number of these ancient wounds of ignorance that keep getting replicated in our hearts and in our wider communities around class, around gender, around sex, around body shape, body size, around every conceivable thing, unfortunately. Because, uh, as I mentioned last week, you know, as a creature, we want to be safe. And we've learned a bad habit because it doesn't deliver the safety we actually want, which is the habit of using power to have power over. Over our circumstances, controlling over other people, right? That domination model of power, as opposed to power with, which requires growing roots both in a broad way, seeing the conditional changing nature of our lives and in a deep, subtle way, right? So we grow roots, we're willing to participate, we're willing to be part of the activity of nature as opposed to separating ourselves out. I have dominion over this wild thing I call nature, whether it's you know, my partner, I have power control over them, or my physical circumstances, or these ancient community problems like racism. I've got an idea that allows me to feel like I have dominion. I, cause I under, I think I understand. I have, you know, I've a, assigned blame. <laughs> However, I've assigned blame and that makes me feel somewhat secure. So we want to be aware of these two ways of avoiding and getting fixated, avoiding the suffering and getting fixated on the suffering and learn instead to navigate and to use that full range because there are times to drop everything and disappear, whether it means going to bed at night and having a good night's sleep where we're not tormented by all the injustice and suffering that is happening all around us, right? It doesn't help us be a better human being if we can't sleep. So even in that simple way of being able to sleep at night or laugh with a friend or see a silly movie is useful. It doesn't mean we forget this. It means that we're purposefully doing our meditation practice, purposefully taking a nice bath, a nice walk in a park, so that we can live our life more fully, more open, less defended, more skillfully participating in what's what's happening around us. I like in this poem where Sam talks about, um, I allow my barricades against it to disintegrate and stop craving still waters that become still waters that so quickly become rank, right? Because when I need the stillness, like when I'm dependent on being disconnected, being in my sort of like when calmness becomes a shadow where I cling to the idea of being calm and equanimous, that then it gets stinky. You know, it's not helpful. Just in the same way, if I cling to being an activist and somebody who's going to fix the world or can't stand the way things are, if I cling to that, then it gets stinky. And this is hard, you know, it's really difficult territory for us to learn 
how to be um, in the moment. Because in the moment, by definition, is not depending on a stance. Because to be in the moment, you know, both in that sense of breadth and depth, it it's like we have to, the mind has to let go of solid ground. Because we're really taking... You know, we're, we're aligning with sensitivity so that our response comes out of what we're sensitive to. And you can try this, you know, ideally you learn, you build confidence in places that are less intense. You know, it's like, uh, maybe for some, one of the less scary, less intense places would be just being in a really sweet spot, you know around some big trees or nice lake or a group of friends. And then just practice not clinging to the niceness of the situation, but just growing roots into it, really letting the refreshment come not from trying to depend on it, depend on the niceness of the situation, but knowing that it won't always be this way so that we really want to let it have it, its impact, like really let it in. And then when conditions inevitably change, then that whatever kind of healing came, whatever refreshment, whatever that allowing the pleasantness in, you know, the mind was able to shed some layers of armor and defensiveness and shed a little bit of that habit of needing to control. And then we bring that in to whatever the next situation is. That won't be so ideal, won't be so pleasant. And we really want to uh, remember that we need a sense of safety. We have to find a wholesome sense of safety when we decide we are going to do the difficult work of moving into our pain and the world's pain. I read this, uh, these verses from the Buddhist teachings last week. I'll just reread some of this. Fear is born from arming oneself. Just see how many people fight. I tell you about the dreadful fear that caused me to shake all over. That's kind of poignant to imagine the Buddha shaking all over. Seeing creatures flopping around like fish in water too shallow so hostile to one another. Well, this is a little bit of, not always, but in some corners and some, sometimes on the front stage in our own culture, like fish flopping around in water too shallow. That's how everybody seems reacting to each other. Seeing this, I became afraid. So what do we need? What supports do we need to be able to see the world whether it's the wider world or specific places in the world like the criminal justice system or the environmental crisis or what's been neglected in our own families, in our own homes. What supports do I need to be able to show up in a clear way, in a fearless way so that my engagement isn't arising because I have to engage, because I'm afraid to feel. And any disengagement isn't arising because I'm afraid to engage. We really want that uh, the amount of supports and safety and clarity 
so that engagement flows naturally from the sensitivity, not from a neurotic need to engage, nor a neurotic need to stay away from engagement. In a way, we're saying, like, I want to be nature. I want my activity, my engagement to be nature. But nature, this natural activity of speech, of action, right? I want that activity to arise as best as possible from the entirety of the moment, from being a sensitive, curious. Now, we all have our biases, of course. So that means... In that sensitivity, we're aware of how we tend to see things. We're aware of the programming we've received, like in my case as a white person. right? If I'm not aware of those biases that got picked up through cultural conditioning, then if I'm there thinking, okay, I'm really aware, I'm really sensitive, I don't need to engage, I don't need not to engage, but I'm not seeing how the sensitivity is being colored by my cultural conditioning. So that like that unpacking, like learning how to be present, and I last week I talked a lot about humility. Learning that capacity to be present requires that we have the stability to do the work of unpacking, because it's not pleasant. And the Buddha goes there, he says, this world completely lacks essence. It trembles in all directions. I long to find myself a place unscathed, but I could not see it. Right. So as we unpack, as we uh, emphasize sensitivity instead of solid ground, being present, wise and kind and present, instead of that fixed stance, well, we're going to notice some serious pushback of that exposure, that lack of ground. The world will tremble in all directions. So we begin by kind of looking at things that we haven't seen in a more psychological, social level. And then we get to this deeper existential level about the absence of ground. And the sense of a me, a solid me-self, thinking it needs solid ground. That's the basic premise we've been acting out of for a long, long time. So this work of showing up in our families, showing up in our communities, it really leads to this deepest spiritual work. And the more we do our work on a, our own psychological, emotional level, our own socialization level, and all the biases that get programmed in through culture, again, around race, around sex and gender, class, and all these ways that we've been programmed. And then even deeper, around the sense of being a somebody who needs solidity and ground, and learning to inhabit a much more open and undefined space of that sensitivity, and that more nimble response to what the sensitive heart is sensitive to. And we're basically learning how to be nature. That nature, that expression or that movement of nature that arises out of being connected or intimate. And that's why I like that refuge of intimacy, the marriage of intimacy and non-attachment. That we need the intimacy with our world, our messy, 
wounded, unjust, unjust world. Right? The beauty of it and the horror of it. We need intimacy because it is the non-fear. You know, non-fear and that not fearing engagement and not fearing leaving things alone when that's the appropriate response. That non-fear is really the active expression of liberation. Right? That's what freedom, liberation looks like. It's that, uh, that engagement without the tightness of fear, without the agenda. So it, even if the situation is hopeless, I can imagine more at least, I mean not fully yet of course, but I can imagine even when a situation appears to me to be hopeless, that there could be a lot of lightness in the engagement, a lot of nimbleness, a lot of willingness to do what can be done to alleviate suffering, even if things are going to get worse because of all the other forces involved. And then this passage that I read last week, it ends again, seeing people locked in conflict, I became completely distraught, but then I discerned here a thorn, hard to see, lodged deep in the heart. It's only when pierced by this thorn that one runs in all directions. So if that thorn is taken out, one does not run and settles down. And each of us, it, I mean, I can say some words, the Buddha certainly said some words, but each of us have, has to actually find that thorn lodged deep in our heart, which is basically has the flavor of somebody, something needs solid ground. It's, it's uh, the most subtle and persistent uh, program sense to not trust life, not trust engagement and participation in this whole uninhibited way. And this is really important to get because, again, there's so many shadows everywhere misunderstandings. And in Buddhist practice, it can feel like this, I'm retreating from life because life is so messy, because there isn't ground, I need to retreat. And the sitting practice, formal meditation practice, and going on a Buddhist retreat, it can really seem like, oh yeah, this is the way. Disappearing, leaving behind the mess. But that's that dance that I mentioned before. There's no moving in in a way that's actually helpful for ourselves and others unless the mind has some stability so that it can learn. But if I'm just frozen around a fixed view, and that's really where my participation is coming from, what are the seeds that I'm actually planting in my own heart and in those around me, right? Well, I'm basically reinforcing the tendency to be afraid, to be controlling, that having power over, as opposed to having power with. How do we participate? Like, we're, we're never going to have control over nature, but we are nature. So as nature, we get to participate with this dance of nature, but we never get to control it. We get to participate. So then the question is, like, if I'm going to participate... I really need to know what I'm participating with. 
And you see it just naturally emphasizes the need for that wise and kind continuity of awareness, that both the breadth and the subtlety of awareness, really growing roots, and so less emphasis on I have to respond or I shouldn't respond, just giving that over to the sensitivity, like I trust that by emphasizing the capacity to feel and see, again, this requirement of humility, then how I show up with my partner, with my kids, with my community around these places of injustice and cha you know require change that we need here in our country and, and just generally everywhere, you know, how we move in directions that are healing, I trust that that will arise because of the hard work of being present. And we have to gain confidence in this. It's not enough for somebody to tell us this is the way, right? Obviously that doesn't work. And uh, even my particular location as a white man kind of sitting here saying this is what the Buddha said. And But the, the key is to realize with humility how so many of the programmed ways we have to respond to the issues in our lives haven't been that helpful. And some of them, some of the ways we respond have been counterproductive, where we've caused more problems, planted the same seeds we were hoping to uproot. So then we get curious, does someone else have anything to say about this? And if we're lucky, we bump into some wise teachings. And then we, if we have some integrity, we check them out and see, like, does it actually help? So that's what I'm encouraging all of us, myself included, to do to check out, okay, well, let me try this stance of using, when it when it's available, using the sitting practice, deep sleep, healing activities, where I touch into some safety as a means to explore those edges where I don't feel so safe. But I take the what those moments of safety, what did they teach us? Maybe it's okay to relax. Maybe it's okay to be a little less defended, a little less fixed with my ideas of right and wrong so that I can be a little bit more open, so that I can see what I'm not seeing and feel what I'm not feeling. So we take that understanding into the edges where things are hot and difficult and the mind doesn't have a lot of competence or clarity. And we discover perhaps, this is for us to discover, that how the heart-body-mind is relating seems to be more functional, more useful, leading in directions that are healing, not part of the problem so much anymore. And that gives us competence to really do the stance of getting better at finding places of refreshment, developing our sitting practice, going away to places that are healing for us, that allow the body and the heart and mind to put down defenses, to put down fear. So we remember what it's like not to be afraid and not to be activated. We need to remember that. And our friends need to remind us, you know, Mark, maybe you seem activated. You seem like you're running on greed, anger, and delusion. Maybe you need, to re you need a reset. What could you do? We need to sort of mirror that back so that when people, when I go back to my edges, there's that little 
um, glimmer of insight that basically mistrusts the need for suffering, mistrusts the need for my heart to be hard and defended. And that's the thing, when we're confused and we're just activated and engaged in our lives in different ways, we that part of the habit is justifying being tight. Like this situation demands that I'm tight, demands that I'm afraid, demands that I have hate. And it, it seems to make sense in that bubble that, that, oh yeah, this is, there's no way other than this way. Now, I'm not saying that things can't be strong and loud, but it doesn't have to come from hate and fear. Love, compassion, can be as fierce and strong as the situation requires, right? Because that's basically the definition of compassionate action. It's that force, that movement of nature that is meeting the moment in a skillful, functional way, right? So if it requires a loud voice or power, then compassion, the wisdom of compassion, gets the power it needs, raises its voice in a way that the moment needs. But it's not a dependency. So um, this is the you know the great predicament that we're in, and uh, whatever habits we've had at avoiding these kind of sticky areas, you know, it doesn't work. Certainly doesn't work in the long run. So that would be a good thing for us, just uh, each individually, to map out for ourselves. Like where are the edges? where I'm uncertain, where stuff comes up for me, I feel uncomfortable, where I feel drawn, but I don't know what I'm doing, I feel incompetent, the world seems to be asking for my engagement, where are those places? And where are the places where I can remember to put down the load? And I can remember what it's like for the heart to be relatively undefended and open and curious and alive. So that refreshment then, I bring that, those qualities that the safety that the particular conditions allow for, I bring that into the sticky, difficult places. And then when it's too much, when I find myself operating on habit alone, not nimble, using greed, anger, and hatred, denial or distraction or fixed view, when I see that it's not helping and the seeds I'm planting aren't really contributing, then I turn away as best I can. You know, not always, it's not always so easy to step out of the fire, right? But we realize I'm not helping. And then we go home and we take a bath or we take a, cook a nice meal or we get a good night's sleep and we do our meditation and we develop that skill in meditation that is all about putting everything down. But it's not just the only move, putting everything down. It's putting everything down so that when we pick everything back up, we're picking up the world and all of its cries with a, a different heart and mind. A mind and heart that's remembering the possibility of lightness, having a natural distrust of hardness and hate and fear. Let me end with this uh, poem by um, Mary Oliver. 
And again, she's just using, as some of you know, with Mary Oliver's poetry, just uses nature as a metaphor so often. And I think this is in her book, DreamWorks, the collection DreamWorks. And the poem is Shadows. Everyone knows the great energies running amok cast terrible shadows that each of the so-called senseless acts has its thread looping back through the world and into a human heart. Meanwhile, the gold-trimmed thunder wanders the sky. The river may be filling the cellars of the sleeping town. Cyclone, fire, and their merry cousins bring us to grief. But these are the hours with the old wooden god faces. We lift them to our shoulders like so many black coffins. We continue walking into the future. I don't mean there are no bodies in the river or bones broken by the wind. I mean everyone who has heard the lethal train roar of the tornado swears there is no mention ever of any person or reason. I mean the waters rise without any plot upon history or even geography. Whatever power of the earth rampages, we turn to it dazed, but an but un we turn to it dazed, but anonymous eyes. Whatever the name of the catastrophe, it is never the opposite of love. And I like that because it's such an invitation to meet these difficulties, these messy, broken places in our hearts, in our world, with that sense of being open, not defining it as evil or bad, but how to show up, how to respond, how to plant some good seeds, how to become the kind of person that leaves behind healing instead of replicating cycles of suffering. This is the dance I'm interested in. Really nice to be with everybody today. I wish everybody well and look forward to connecting down the road. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.